The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. We're continuing our message series entitled Habits of Grace. In these past several weeks, we've looked at several ways that we can experience the grace that God freely gives us. Uh, we said over and over that these uh, habits of grace don't produce God's grace. They don't make him love us more, but they do help us to experience the grace that God has already given us much more deeply and then ultimately allow that grace to transform our lives. And this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Now you'll notice the Apostle Paul is talking to a church. He's talking to a group of people who are saved, and he's saying, I'm declaring unto you, I'm preaching unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. It's the gospel that allows us to stand and that gives us the strength as Christians. And he's preaching it here to this group of believers. So you may ask, well, what is the gospel? Well, he defines it for us in verse number three. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This morning, Pastor is going to come and preach a message on the habit of grace of preaching the gospel to yourself. Welcome to Ambassador Baptist Church. Good to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. How many of you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep here today? You enjoyed that extra hour of sleep? All right. How many of you completely forgot you got an extra hour of sleep? All right. You're like, man, I, I didn't even get to enjoy it uh, the way I wanted to. Well, I hope that was a small blessing to you. And uh, maybe we won't have quite as many folks uh, snoozing on us here this morning with the extra hour. Uh, this week, I, I, before I kind of get into the sermon, uh, obviously this week is an important uh, week in the life and, and our nation's history. And I, I, before, just without getting too much into this, I just want to simply say this. As we go to vote here this week, there are a lot of things that can inform our vote. Uh, as all of us are aware, uh, we could have media inform our vote. Uh, news agencies could inform our votes. Uh, for others of us in here, our family backgrounds could inform our votes based on what our relatives do, uh, based on what family might do. Uh, for others of us, it might be our peers, people we work with, inform our vote. And here's simply all I want to say this morning is I want to encourage you here, I want to encourage you to allow this book to be the primary thing that informs your vote this week. And I want you to ask yourself this question, as, as, and there'll be a lot of things we'll be voting on, different uh, measures and candidates and, and things along those lines, but I want you to go to the scriptures and ask yourself, uh, what is the scriptures, who aligns, what aligns with the scriptures? And I think if we'll do that, I think God can be glorified through it, and I just really want to encourage you to allow some these lesser things to go away, you know, rather than being informed by our emotions, rather than being informed by a news outlet, rather than being informed by some, you know, um, peer pressure, allow the Word of God to be the primary thing that informs how you vote and what you're going to do here in this upcoming election. So that's all I'm going to say about that, but I hope as uh, citizens you'll take the op op awesome opportunities that we have as Americans to exercise that liberty here of voting. As we move forward, preaching the gospel to yourself is the theme of today's message. To give you a quick recap of these last several weeks, we have been looking at different spiritual disciplines or what we've been referring to as habits of grace. We've looked at reading the scriptures. We've looked at praying. We've looked at fasting. We've looked at practicing the presence of God. And in each one of these things, we've tried to look at some very practical ways that we can exercise these things in our daily life. Now, as we've been saying for several weeks now, these things don't help us or doesn't cause God to enjoy us more. Like if we're reading our Bible and we're praying and we're fasting and we're doing all these things, somehow God looks down and he enjoys us just a little bit more than everybody else. All right, that's not how it works. God enjoys you as much as he could possibly enjoy you because the Bible says you are in Christ. And he loves you because you are in Christ. He enjoys you because you're in Christ. However, these things that we're talking about can help you to enjoy God more. These things can help you to experience the grace that he has made freely available to you in much more deeply and much more profound ways. And at the end of the day, that's what I desire for our church family. I desire that your joy might be 
full. That's my heart for you. That you would be able to fully experience this grace that God makes available to you in much more deep and much more profound ways. Because we live in a day and age where though there are Christians who are saved, and they have all grace been made available to them, there are many Christians in the 21st century that are not enjoying their relationship with Jesus Christ like they could be. They are not experiencing the relationship with Christ. They're not experiencing the grace that God makes available to them quite like they could. And so we have a lot of Christians running around and they're going through the motions of their Christianity. They're doing what good Christians are supposed to do, but they have no joy. They have no peace. What they do doesn't come from a a place of love. They're just going through moralistic rituals. And I want to declare to you today that God has something better for us. God desires here that we, would, that we would truly be filled with joy. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. That we would truly be able to uh, experience the grace that God's made available to us. And so these habits of grace are things that allow us to experience God's grace and enjoy our relationship with Jesus much more profoundly. Now I'm going to say this. The discipline of grace that we're going to talk about today will probably be one of the most confusing of all the ones we've talked up to this point. Most of us are pretty familiar that we need to read the scriptures and that God uses the scriptures to stir up faith within us. Most of us are aware of that. Most of us have heard before we came and heard the sermon on prayer that prayer was an important thing, all right? This wasn't new to any of us. I will say this. When we talk about what we're going to talk about today, this concept might be new to some folks in here. It is not new to the scriptures. It is not new to Christianity. It is not new uh, to our uh, beliefs, but it is new to some of us because when you and I, some of us in this room, hear the word gospel and preaching the gospel, many of us think, oh, that is for the unbeliever. That is for the unsaved. That is for those who do not know Christ. And you would be right. It is for the unbeliever. It is for the unsaved. It is for those who are not in Christ. But I'm going to say this, as we're going to see today, it is also vitally important to those of us who are already saved as well. So I want to ask you this question. How are you doing at preaching the gospel to yourself on a daily basis? You say, well, I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. And that's why we're going to get into this here a little bit today. A moment ago, Pastor Nick read from 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, where the Apostle Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel. And he says, I'm I'm to the church at Corinth. I want to I want to preach the gospel to you, the gospel that I proclaim to you. Why? Because it is in preaching the gospel and in hearing the gospel to believers. That's how you stand. That's where your strength comes from. And then in verses number three and four, he defines it. He says how Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. That right there is the essence of the gospel. Christ lived, he died, was buried, and rose again. So let me give you just a definition of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news. That's what the word gospel literally means. If you just went to a dictionary, the word gospel literally just means good news. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that one secures our salvation. We see that in Romans chapter number one through Romans chapter number five, but it also cultivates our spiritual, uh, our spiritual maturity. We see that in Romans chapter number six, Romans chapter seven, and Romans chapter number eight, all right? So because Christ lived, you and I, we have hope. Because Christ died, my old sinful nature and your old sinful nature was crucified with Christ. And because Christ resurrected, I am also raised to walk in newness of life. He lived, he died, and was resurrected. Because he lived, I've got hope. Because he died, I also was crucified with him. And because he was resurrected, I'm also resurrected to walk in newness of life. You see, what we're going to see today is the gospel is not just for the unbeliever, but it is also for the believer. It is not just for the sinner. It is also for the saint. It's not just for the non-Christian. It's for the Christian as well. It's like two sides of the same coin. It's got implications for all of humanity. Now, 
because of time, I'm not going to take the opportunity, but if you have a pen, I want you to jot these references down, because if you want to do a study on your own, I want you to go through these later on, but I'm going to give you some references here where the gospel is for Christians too. So Romans chapter number one, verses number seven and verses number 15 talks about how the gospel is to them who believe in Rome. And so you're going to see how Paul says to this church at Rome, I want to preach to you the gospel. Let me give you another one. First Corinthians chapter number one, verse number 18. The apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, I want to preach the cross to them that perishes fullness, but to us who are saved, to those of us who are believed, this message is the power of God for unto salvation and uh, uh, it is for us who are saved is the power of God. And so we see God uses this to stir up our Christian life. First Corinthians 15 verse one, we just read. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse number 14, all right? Speaks of this idea how the gospel is for believers too. So let me throw this on the screen as we move into our introduction. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just important to our salvation. Now, don't get me wrong. It is very important to our salvation. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. There is no justification. There's no regeneration. We need the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in order to be saved for salvation. But we're going to go on to say it, it, it also plays a vital role in our growth and everyday Christian life. God's plan is not to steer individuals beyond the gospel, but rather his desire is to steer us deeper into the gospel. That is God's heart. It's not like, see, a lot of people view the gospel as like kindergarten. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, I got saved. I'm going to put that little salvation trophy there right on my mantle. Now I'm going to go on to bigger and better things. Can I say this? We don't go on to bigger and better than the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some people have said, well, you know, uh, the gospel's like the diving board into the swimming pool of the Christian life. The gospel is like the pool you're swimming around in, all right? The gospel is what gives you life. It is everything. And so we need to really begin to understand this. One author put it this way. The gospel is not simply the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A to Z of Christianity. And you will see this concept played out again and again and again all throughout the New Testament. One theologian said it this way in his book, When I Don't Desire God, The central strategy to cultivating joy in the life of a believer, and and that's what this series is about. It's how do we enjoy the Christian life that God's given to us? How do we experience grace more deeply? He goes on to say the central strategy to cultivating joy in the life of the believer is to preach the good news of the gospel to yourself every day and believe it to be true every day. So this morning, We're going to look, really, at how preaching the good news of the gospel to ourselves matures us as believers. Nobody talks to you as much as you talk to you. So you have a choice to make. Am I going to listen to my emotions, or am I going to preach the gospel to myself? See, you're always talking to yourself. The question is, are, are you just listening, or are you preaching? And we want to talk today about how to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every single day and how God uses preaching the gospel to ourselves as a tool to see us sanctified and matured in the Christian phrase. Okay, uh, Christian faith, I should say. Now, if you've been around ambassador for any length of time, then you've heard a phrase like this, Jesus is enough. In fact, if you've been here for any length of time, you're probably sick of hearing it. We say this all the time. Jesus is sufficient. We say Jesus is enough. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything, we'll say. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, we'll say. And Jesus minus everything else is still everything. So we make these statements, and to some people, they sound like cliches. Yeah, Jesus is enough. Oh, Jesus is sufficient. Yeah, Jesus plus nothing equals... But they're just that. They're like, they're like these, these little quips we put on bumper stickers. But they don't have any deep, functional, practical meaning to our soul. 
The, the statement doesn't inform the way we live our Christian life to any real degree. So here's what I want to do today. And, and please, I, I've been praying so deeply over this message. I want to give you some very practical tools on how you can learn to preach the gospel to yourself each and every day for spiritual maturity. Because I honestly believe with all of my heart, if, if you don't get really good at learning how to preach the gospel to yourself, there will always be areas where you will struggle in your Christian experience. Just like if, if you were to never pray, how many of you realize if you were to never pray that, that there would be some, you'd struggle a little bit. Or if you never read the scriptures, you'd struggle a little bit. Just like any of these habits of grace that we're talking about, this one is vitally important to your spiritual well-being. And so what I'd like to do is just work through the scriptures. We're going to spend a lot of time in Romans chapter number 6 because that's where a lot of this gets unpacked at. And we're going to go to the scriptures and really going to look at how to practically unpack this idea of preaching the gospel to ourselves. So let's, let's go through this idea, how to, preach the pro- how to go through the process of preaching the good news of the gospel to ourselves. Now, uh, one of the characters, you'll find that in the Old Testament, David was really good at preaching the good news to himself on a regular basis. He would say, you know, oh my soul, why art thou downcast within me? He would say, and then he would say, oh my soul, hope thou in God. He'd recognize that there were some issues that his heart and soul was struggling with, but then he would literally preach good news. He'd preach the promises of God to himself. He would preach that hope. He would preach those promises, and he would tell himself, self, soul, hope thou in God. He literally preached to himself. You'll see Paul doing this in illustration. So I'm going to say this very practically as we kind of begin to dive into this. Just like with David... Uh, just like with the Apostle Paul, whenever there is intense negative emotion building in your heart, how many of you have ever gone through seasons, seasons of intense emotional you know, frustration, intense emotional kind of intense negative emotion? This is often a sign. This is often a sign that we need to start preaching the gospel to ourselves. Did anybody experience any intense negative emotions? Let's not even use the word intense. Did anybody experience some, you know, negative emotions as we frustration, anger, stress? You know, as we're moving through these things, self-pity, you know, hatred, bitterness. Just like with David, when he would launch into just preaching to himself the promises of God, what became a catalyst for that, what became kind of the knee-jerk reaction, is he was experiencing some intense negative emotion. And whenever you experience intense negative emotion, I just want to say that, allow that to be a catalyst in your own heart, in your own soul, that kind of becomes a psychological trigger that says, you know what, I probably need to be preaching the gospel to myself right here, right now. And you say, how do I know when to preach the gospel to myself? There's, you, can preach to yourself, you can preach the gospel to yourself proactively when you're not experiencing intense negative emotions, and that's a good thing to do. But I'm going to say this, you definitely want to be preaching the gospel to yourself reactively when those things in life are coming upon you, much like they did for David. All right, so let's just dive into it. Romans chapter number 6, verse 11. Romans chapter number 6, verse 11. And uh, we're just gonna, we're gonna take some moment here to just kind of read through some of this and wanna make sure. Romans chapter number six, here's what the Bible says uh, for those of you who have already gotten there. He says, likewise, now here's a word, reckon. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. All right, we said a moment ago, Romans chapter number one through five is the gospel for the unsaved. Romans chapter number 6 through 8 is the gospel for the saved. We're in chapter number 6 here, and the Apostle Paul is going to help us to understand how to navigate the gospel for those of us who are believers. He says in verse 11, likewise reckon. Now, some of you, how many of you guys got friends that live down in the south? You know what I'm talking about? You got any of you got some friends that live down in the south? Every once in a while as they're talking along, they'll use a word like this. They'll say, well, I reckon, all right? I reckon this, I reckon that. You know, it's kind of a southern word that is used in our modern kind of context. But I want to say this. In the scriptures, that word reckon is an awesome, awesome word. 
All right? You say, what is this idea of reckon? What does this thing really mean? Uh, To put it simply, the word reckon, as we find here in this passage, it's simply choosing to believe that which is true. When it says reckon, it says likewise reckon. It means choose to believe that which is true. So it says here in verse number 11, likewise reckon. What is it saying? Likewise reckon. It says here, what are we doing? We're choosing to believe that which is true. How many of you understand there are a lot of people who do not choose to believe that which is true? Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Okay. So spiritually speaking, the Apostle Paul is saying, you have to make a conscious choice to choose that which is true. Because there are a lot of things that are true in the spiritual realm, and you have to reckon them. You have to choose them. You have to choose those things here to believe. Choose to believe that those things are true. There's a lot of things in this scripture that God declares that people do not choose to believe to be true. And so there are times in the scripture where the Apostle Paul says, hey, your emotions are going to try to convince you that this is not true. Your feelings are going to try to convince you that that's not true. You're going to have people from your past try to convince you that this is true or that is true. And so to reckon something is the Apostle Paul saying, you need to choose to believe that which God says is true. So to reckon, when it uses the word reckon, we're going to see it a couple of times here today. So I'm taking a little little extra time to emphasize it because we as believers have to get really good at choosing to believe that which is true. To reckon it. So likewise reckon what? Yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Here's the spiritual reality. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, the Bible says you were hidden in him. You joined with him unto his death. Spiritually speaking, you are now the flesh. Your old nature is dead. That is a spiritual fact. It is a spiritual reality. Your old nature is dead. It's gone. It's nowhere to be seen. However, there are many believers who do not choose to believe that that is true. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, reckon it. Choose to believe that this is true. Choose to believe that your old nature, the old man, he is dead. He is crucified. In Christ. That's what this is saying. Your feelings are going to say, nah, he's still alive. Some of your old friends are going to say, no, this is. God says, reckon this, choose to believe that your old man, he is dead. Which leads us to our first thought today when we talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves. Number one, by faith, reckon all unhealthy emotions, desires, thoughts and actions to be crucified with Christ. Reckon it to be. Choose to believe that it is true. That those unhealthy desires, those unhealthy thoughts, those unhealthy actions, that's not the real you anymore. The real you, the new you, that which you are in Christ. The Bible says you need to reckon this. You need to choose to believe that this is God's truth. Reckon all these unhealthy emotions, desires, thoughts, and actions to be crucified with Christ. Let me keep reading. Romans chapter number six, verse six says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, Jesus. Your old man, those old thoughts, those old emotions, those old motives, those old values, those old behaviors. The Bible says that old man, he is dead. But most Christians run around acting like he's still alive. Those negative emotions that you experience, the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the, the self-pity, the, 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 you know, blaming this person and blaming that person for how you feel, the entitlement mentality. Can I say this? That old man, that person's dead. It's not the real you anymore. Reckon it. Choose to believe that what God says is true and let everyone else be a liar. goes on to say, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. 
those unhealthy past negative emotions and attitudes and values and thoughts and behaviors. Indeed, that is part of an old man that is dead. It doesn't even exist in the spiritual realm. And God says, you need to reckon it. You need to choose to believe that it's true. That is not who you really are. You see, until you learn to reckon your old man to be dead indeed unto sin, if you still think he's alive in there deep down somewhere, you're going to keep propagating those old behaviors, those old thoughts, those old values, those old motives, because you, don't, you have not reckoned that to be dead. It's part of you that still chooses to believe that deep down in there he's alive somewhere. The real you. The you that has been redeemed. The essence of your spirit. That new man. Oh, I want you to say that old man, he has been crucified. Galatians chapter number 5, verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Can I say this? Even though our old nature is dead, that's why the Bible says to reckon this to be true. Choose to believe that this old nature is dead indeed. He's been crucified. This is why negative emotion and pride will often attempt to keep your flesh on life support. Your emotions will... You'll try, try to prop this old nature up or this flesh up. Trying to convince you to believe that it's, it's like it's like it's like this your pride and these these unhealthy emotions will literally try to put this old man on life support. But he's dead. Reckon him to be dead. Let's keep moving on. Romans chapter six, verse four. We're gonna read part of the verse for this point, and then I'll read the end of the verse for the next point. Romans chapter number six, verse four. Therefore. We are buried with him by baptism into his death. Not only are we crucified, but the Bible says that old nature has been buried. It's, I mean, it's six feet under. Which leads us to our second thought. I want you to see, now that your old self is buried, identify what your new nature actually craves. This is something we have to reckon because your feelings are going to tell you, well, I want this and I desire that and I crave those things. Your new nature does not desire those things. Your new nature does not crave those things. The new nature does not want those things. Your flesh might, the part of you that's trying to keep that old flesh on life support, but the real you, the part of you that's hidden in Christ, the part of you that's saved and going to heaven, that real you He's alive in Christ because the old man has been crucified and buried. And now that he's been buried, you've got to identify what your new nature actually craves, regardless of what your emotions tell you, regardless of what your spouse will tell you, regardless of what your old friends will tell you, regardless of what even your own head will tell you sometimes. You need to reckon what God declares to be absolute truth in your experiential reality. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what? He is a new creature. I love that it says, it doesn't say is becoming a new creature. Your new nature is not becoming something. Your new nature is something. The real you is brand new. But you've got to reckon this thing. If you don't choose to believe that this is true, you'll never experience the riches that it makes available to you. They're yours. They're available. You have access to them, but you won't experience them unless you've reckoned it. You've chosen to believe that God's reality is true above every other voice that shouts in your ear. So, your, your soul starts to tell you, man, I, I, I want to feel significant. I want to feel safe. I want to feel satisfied. I want to feel like I matter. I want to feel like I'm accepted. I want to feel that I'm loved. Your old nature, your old flesh would have told you, well, in order to experience those things, 
this is what I've got to do. This is what I need in order to fulfill those desires. I need to be popular. I need to make more money. I need to have more stuff. I need to have better health. I need my spouse to behave. I need my kids to act the way I want them to act. I need the people around me to do exactly what I want them to do. I need life to make me comfortable. I need life to make me happy. I need everything to go my way in order for me to be at ease. And your new nature says, no, you don't actually need any of those things. You don't need your wife or your husband or your spouse to do what you want. You don't need circumstances to go the way you want them to go. You don't need the situations of life to be comfortable for you. You don't need this person or that person to treat you with respect in order to be emotionally stable. See, your new nature says, all I need is Jesus. Christ is enough for me. He's enough. Now, we make that statement, but it still sounds cliche, doesn't it? It's because we don't understand Jesus as being a relational element of our life. We look at him as kind of more of a religious icon of historic past. And because we look at Jesus that way, he has no relational bearings on our everyday reality. So we begin to feel insecure, and we feel shame, and we feel guilt, and we feel worthless because everything we try to get to make our our soul feel better, none of it satisfies. None of it brings significance. None of it makes us feel complete or whole. See, Your old nature is going to tell you you need all of these lesser things to be satisfied. But your new nature understands that all you really need is to experience Jesus more deeply. Because Jesus satisfies. The deepest longing of your soul, he satisfies. Yet the reality is we create physical expectations on people and situations in attempts to get them to meet these needs. I need this person in my life to do this in order for me to be happy. I need that person over there to do that in order to make me satisfied. I need these people over here to do those things in order to make me feel safe. I need, and whether it's boss, whether it's spouse, whether it's children, whether it's parents, whether it's pastor, whether it's people I go to church with or coworkers, and as long as everybody's doing what I think they should be doing, then I can be at peace. And the Bible says, your new nature says Christ is enough. And until you get this, your life will always be disturbed deeply. You need to reckon those desires, those, that idea that you need your spouse to behave and you need your children to do this and your husband to do that, your wife to do that, your children to do this, your boss to do that, your circumstances to go this way and, and situations to go that way. That's an old nature telling you you need something in the physical realm to happen the way you demand it to happen in order for you to be at peace. It's a lie of the old nature because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to satisfy you when your spouse doesn't behave. Jesus is enough to make you feel safe even when your boss doesn't give you as much as you you think you deserve. You don't need a boss to give you a certain amount of money or this or that for your soul to feel safe and secure. You don't need your pastor to make you feel a certain way so you can feel spiritually significant. You've got something better. You've got Jesus. What you need is a deeper, more profound experience of who Jesus is for you. That's what your soul craves. But your flesh, the old nature trying to be kept on life support will tell you, no, you need this thing and that thing and those things and your new nature, the Bible declares, no, reckon yourselves to be dead to all those things. You're alive to Christ. Jesus is enough. Reckon it. Choose to believe that spiritual reality is fact, that Jesus is enough. I'm saying to some of you, some of you in this room, you're struggling so bad because you are demanding somebody in your life to be Jesus for you, and they'll never succeed. Your spouse will never be your Jesus, and your children can never be your Messiah. 
And your parents will never be Christ high and lifted up. They will fail you every single time because when you look to a pastor and you look to a boss and you look to a spouse to give your soul what only Jesus can provide, they will let you down every single time and you will find yourself living in misery and frustration and agony wondering why doesn't life make sense? I'm telling you why it doesn't make sense because you're looking to a thousand things smaller than Jesus to give you what only he can give you. Jesus, my friend, is enough. He is enough. You need a bigger sense, a bigger experience of who Jesus is. That's what you need. You don't need your kids to make it big. You don't need your spouse to treat you a certain way. You don't need your pastor to do this or your boss to do that. You need Jesus and you need to experience him in more profound ways. That's what your new nature craves. Because everything else, everything else cannot fully satisfy. It can't. We've got to get to a place our old nature is buried. Now identify what the new nature actually craves. See, for some of you who are single in this room, you've convinced yourself that what you need to be ultimately satisfied is to be married. (laughs) Oh, marriage is a wonderful thing, but it will not ultimately satisfy you. So people look for ultimate satisfaction in a relationship. It can't be found. God has a purpose and a plan for marriage, but it is not your ultimate satisfaction. God did not give you marriage for your happiness. He gave it to you for your holiness. He did not give you your church for your happiness. He gave it for your holiness. He did not put people in this church for your happiness. He put them there for your holiness. He did not give you kids for your happiness. He gave them for your holiness. Kids, he did not give you parents for your happiness. Gave them for your holiness. That's why God played. The new nature understands this and reckons this to be true. Chooses to believe. God's reality over feelings and emotions, and the pulls of the heart. Number three, Acts 6, verse 4 says this. I'm gonna read the rest of the verse. I read part of it in the first point. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. What is the gospel? That we're dead. That's what we are. We're buried. We have, we have new desires now. That like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Just like Jesus experienced resurrecting power, God wants you to experience a resurrected power. See, God God wants to experience, for you to experience the power of new life. The old things that you used to look to to satisfy you is not what the new nature looks to to satisfy anymore. The old nature looked for circumstances to go your way and situations to kind of happen exactly like you wanted. The old nature wanted your spouse to act a certain way and be a certain way in order for you to be happy. But the reality is the new nature says, no, we transcend all that. You can be happy. You can experience the fruit of the Spirit in a way that transcends all those lesser things. Praise God when your spouse behaves. That's a really, really nice thing. But you are not dependent upon it for your happiness, for your peace, for your joy, and for your ability to give love back to them because Jesus is enough for that. He is enough. So number three, by faith, enjoy the provision that is yours in Christ made possible by the resurrection of Jesus. I love what the scriptures say in 2 Peter verse 1, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, according to his divine power hath given us, notice this, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'm here to say everything that your soul craves, everything that you're trying to demand the world give you, everything you think you need for satisfaction and security and significance, whether it's a relationship, whether it's money, whether it's climbing the, you know, career ladder or owning a business. I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but what I'm saying is this. Your soul doesn't need it for its survival, its satisfaction, its significance, its security. Your soul needs one thing, a 
an abiding, experiential, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus is enough. Stop lying to yourself and telling yourself you need Jesus plus fill in the blank. It's a lie. You need to reckon. You can be happy with right where you're at right now. In the marriage you're in, you can be happy in the job you're in, in the church you're in, in the circumstances you find yourself in. You say, you mean God's, God would never move me to another job? No, I'm not saying he wouldn't move you to another job. Here's what I'm trying to say, is you don't need that other job to have your heart be at peace. That's what I'm saying. See, you're, you're, you're crying out, God, fix my situation. And God's like, no, I want to use your situation to fix you. Because more than God is concerned with resolving the issue, he wants to restore your faith in him. A faith that believes he's enough. He is enough. Enjoy the provision that is yours because everything you need, First Peter, 2 Peter 1 through 3, all things that pertain to life and godliness is already yours in Christ. You have everything you need. Colossians 2.10, we are complete in him. We're complete in Christ. You don't need anything for your soul's significance, satisfaction, safety, security. You don't need, your soul doesn't need anything more than abiding, thriving relationship with Jesus. But the old nature, the flesh, is going to try to convince you every day that you need a thousand things smaller than Jesus for you to be at peace and happy. It is a lie. You need to reckon this. What I need is an abiding relationship with Jesus. And that's what we mean when we say Jesus is enough. Number four, Romans 15, now unto him that is of the power to establish or strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The preaching of Jesus Christ, even to the believer, it strengthens us, it establishes us. Number four, I want to encourage you to preach this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself over and over and over again until it's fully reckoned to be true in your experience. Preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself over and over and over again until you fully reckoned it to be true in your personal, functional experience. Let me do this for just a moment. I think, I don't know if they have this on the screen, but preaching the gospel to ourselves requires pausing. Rehearsing some expression of the Father's love and and his provision of goodness. It's rehearsing some element of rescue and, and joy for us and consciously seeking to have that truth shape and permeate our reality. That's what it means to preach the gospel to ourselves. But we're not good at it. I was talking with somebody this week, and we were having this conversation. And a lot of this comes down to the fact that as Americans, we don't even stop to think about our soul, let alone think about it properly. We are so busy, social media, noise always going, busy running here, busy running there. Our culture does not give us margin like what David did where it says he communed with his heart on his bed. When was the last time you just took, you just took some time, just focused on your soul? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? What motives are driving me to do what I just did in that situation? What values were built up in my heart that caused me to do that? What worldview perspective caused me to see this situation in that light? See, David would constantly commune with his heart on his bed. But here's the deal. Not only do we not know how to do this well, we don't know how to do it at all. It's like trying to teach somebody to play baseball good who doesn't even know what baseball is in the first place. Like as Americans, we don't even commune with our soul. We don't, we don't, we don't examine why our soul and what our soul. We don't, we, don't even, we don't even know how to commune with our heart. We just are reactive, like, like animals. 
But you're not an animal with just pure instincts. You're a soul that has the opportunity to choose, to yield, to surrender. You can choose your motives, your values. By God's grace, you can allow your worldview and perspectives to be shifted. Because you're a, you're a soul. And that soul has been given a new nature. Now, if you'll do this, you're in, let's, let's just do this for a moment. See, this hard, preaching and believing the gospel, I'll say it this way. This is the hard work of the Christian life. What we're talking about right now. You say, no, the hard work of the Christian life is doing this the way a Christian's supposed to be doing it and doing that the way the Christian's supposed to be doing it and acting moral here and doing good there. Can I say this? If you begin to preach the gospel to yourself and you allow the gospel to inform your motives and your values and your worldviews, you will be astounded by how all your behavior just kind of begins to fall in your place. You know, it's a lot like a dominoes. You get that first domino of, of a, allowing God to change your heart, all those other dominoes. See, some of you are Christians, and you are running around like a, like a chicken with its head caught off, trying to do this right and trying to do that right and trying to do all these things. Ah, you know, I can't do it all. And I'm just here to say, it's, it's, it's simple. God, I want to commune with you. God, I want to create, I want to surrender, and with a spirit of faith, God, I want to give you my heart. I want to reckon this to be true, God, to, so my thoughts are your thoughts, and my beliefs are your beliefs. My values are your values. My perspectives are your perspectives. When you align those things, it's amazing how your behavior begins to fall into place. So I'm going to get real transparent for a moment. See, a lot of us want our church to do this for us. We want our pastors to do this for us because we're not willing to do deep, hard, internal work of the soul on ourselves. This is not something you can delegate to your pastor. This is not something you can delegate to your spouse. This is not something you can delegate to your parents. We have to be willing to do the hard work of the Christian life, this deep soul work, to reckon these things to be true. So let me give you an illustration. Um, It'll be very personal. Because I, I think it actually might help you a little bit more after, even after everything I said. Let me put it in an illustration form. So, oh, I didn't even, I should have asked Jenny if I should have done this. So, can, is it all right if I tell a personal story about us? All right, there we go. I should have asked earlier. <laughs> so, three or four weeks ago, she, just, she didn't know what she's saying yes to. I don't know, maybe three or four weeks ago. We were talking about something. It was just something really basic, you know, just... And have you ever been there before in your marriage? You're just talking about something really basic, you know? And then all of a sudden, like, it starts getting a little tense. And then after a while, it starts getting a little ugly, you know? And, and it's like, how did, how did going from talking about what we were going to have for dinner and where we were going to eat turn into that? You guys ever, okay, am I the only, because if I'm the only one, it's going to be highly embarrassing. <laughs> so we were there. We were talking. And I will just say this, in this particular situation, honestly, I was describing myself. As the time went on, I was getting really frustrated in my spirit, like really aggravated. I was like, man, I was, and, and like the longer we were talking, we were talking about this, this physical, tangible thing out here. And, and I was trying to, the scope of the conversation, I was, I was trying to convince her of my perspective on this particular thing, you know? And then I, I would say this and, you know, and, and it's like, I, I did not sense that I was getting her affirmation, like her agreement on this particular issue, you know? And, I, and, and so the more I tried to talk with her and, and, and talk about this and talk, like the more aggravated I was getting because I, she just wasn't agreeing with me on this situation. And I like it when people agree with me. <laughs> Man, finally, I mean, it, in my own spirit, I could just sense. I could just, it was, I, I could feel it welling up. And, uh, man, God's been teaching me this. And, and like I've, I've said this before, and, and I'm becoming more and more aware of it, uh, the, the, the temporal, physical issue, you know, uh, that we get upset about is rarely the thing we're really upset about. And if you haven't learned that yet, then, then let's go back to marriage 101. <laughs> What, when you think you're fighting about where to go to dinner or what she's wearing, what she's not wearing, when you think you're fighting about, you know, something in the, the way he takes care of the house or isn't cleaning the garage, whatever the temporal thing you think you're fighting about, let me just tell you, it's not what you're really upset about. Let me just throw it out there. You're never upset about the thing you think you're upset about, ever, ever, 
almost ever. (laughs) More often than not, the physical issues of life are just symbolic metaphors for deeper spiritual issues. Every time, anytime I do marriage counseling, like every time, the the tangible temporal issue was not the thing. (laughs) It was just a spiritual symbolic metaphor for the spiritual thing that was the thing. Finally, after a while, I, I, man, that clicked in my mind. I thought, okay, <laughs> what we're talking about is not what's giving, getting me so frustrated. And so I, 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 just, man, I just had to remove myself from the situation for a moment. And I remember just going to God and I said, God, reveal to me what's, what's, what's the real issue here. You know, what, and I started, and I just went through the process like we talked about. My old nature, these old things, these feelings are dead. They're not real. And I begin to reckon these things to me. These negative emotions that I'm experiencing and frustration, those emotions are dead. They are not the real me, and I reckon that to be true. And just in that moment, in a spirit of prayer, communing with the Lord in my heart, right there, just saying, that's, that's not real. It's not. It feels real. It's convincing me it's real, but it's not spiritual reality. I reckon that and I declare it to be a lie. Just like that. You start by reckoning the old man to be crucified. Those old emotions, those old way of thinking, those negative habits, those unhealthy, just you denounce them. You say, but did you know what, you, did you know what was true at that point? I didn't, but I did know that was a lie. When you're frustrated, bitter, upset, when you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, when there is no love, joy, and peace, you can mark it down. You are experiencing the flesh, and you can denounce it as the old nature every time. So I did that. And then I moved along, and it's like, wait a second. Now, now that this thing is you know, buried, I, what, what is it that my new nature actually craves? If I'm not craving for this thing that I thought we were fighting about, I was like, Lord, if, if that's an old, if that, that stuff's crucified, if my anger and upset, bitterness, if that's crucified, then God, and that's been buried, then what is, what is this nature? What am I really craving? I begin to ask God, God, reveal it to me. And in that moment, God was like, you know what? You want Jenny's affirmation. You want her to validate what it is you're saying. And every time you tried to say something and convince her that what you were saying was the correct position or pro- Every time she didn't agree with you, it made you more and more frustrated because what you desired was affirmation and validation. That's what your soul was craving in that moment. I desperately wanted my wife to validate and affirm what I was thinking. Now, here was the problem. Jenny's not my Messiah. She's not my Jesus. I am not supposed to get my validation from her. She's a great person. My validation is supposed to come from Jesus and Jesus alone every single time. All my acceptance doesn't come from my wife. It doesn't come from you guys. It doesn't come from my brothers. It doesn't come from my parents. It comes from Jesus. And in that moment, I begin to say, God, the reason I made such a mess of that situation because I was trying to get something from Jenny that I'm supposed to find in you. And that's why I kept pushing on it, pushing on it, pushing on it, pushing on it. And I said, God, what my soul needed was validation, affirmation, acceptance. But I already get to enjoy that in you. And for the next five minutes, I begin to bask in the gospel of what Jesus made available to me, the good news that was mine because of the death, burial, and resurrection Jesus bought for me, he purchased for me, he secured for me all the acceptance, all the love, all the affirmation, and all the validation my soul could ever need was purchased at Calvary because Jesus is enough. And I just begin to preach that gospel to myself and tell myself again, begin to reckon that, no, this is the reality. I am accepted and I am loved and I am validated and I am experienced in Christ. I can get that from you and I just allowed the good news of that reality spiritually speaking to begin to feed my soul begin to taste and see that God is good and begin to feast on that and just allow that belief that reckoning to be true and I just kept preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching took about five or six minutes to just preach that to my soul until I had validation I was experiencing it as God's grace I experienced it I was there enjoying it man this is awesome I prayed by faith, God answered, gave me what I was trying to get from her. 
and I experienced it. Here's what's cool. I was able to go back into the situation and we were able to talk about it again, but see, now this time was different because before we were, ta- we were talking about this thing on the temporal, physical realm, but whether she knew it or not, that's not what we were really talking about. What we were really talking about was I needed her validation. I didn't even know that at the time. See, your heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. It's not always gonna fill you in on what it actually wants because it wants to convince you that your le- desires are legitimate <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> because it's old man, and it's been crucified. And I went in, and we begin to talk about this thing again. You know what? Here's what's awesome. When you're talking about a physical temporal thing, and your soul did not enter into that relational engagement needing something, it's amazing how quickly the real things take care of themselves, like really simply. Because you're actually just talking about this thing. You're not attaching some deep spiritual need to it. And this is what's hard. There are those in this room and every time you enter into a relationship, you bring poison into that relationship because you need something from it. You cannot love what you need something from. And you poison relationship after relationship after relationship because every relationship you engage in, you need something from. You need this person, you need that person to validate you. And you need this spouse to make you feel safe and secure. And you need that person to make you feel beautiful. And you need this person to make you feel like you matter and you have worth in this world. You need those people to make you feel spiritually significant and important in the church. And every relationship you get into, you get into because you need something from it. And I'm here to say you're free from that. You are free from needing something from a spouse because you have something better. You have Jesus, and he's enough. He'll satisfy in ways your spouse can never satisfy. I I, I could have pushed and pushed and pushed all day long, and even if Jenny would have caved in, it would have only temporarily given me, appeased a sense of needing validation, but she can't ultimately be a savior. And so every time looking to Jesus, finding that in him and allowing that reality to be bolstered in you, I'm talking about preaching the gospel to yourself again and again and again. Why? Because Jesus is enough. You see, my friends, at the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. You say, no, at the heart of every problem is my spouse. (laughs) At the heart of every problem is my pastor. (laughs) At the heart of every problem is my boss. At the heart of every problem is my parents. (laughs) No. It's just that you in your old carnal state are looking to smaller, lesser things to satisfy something that only Jesus can satisfy. And until you find and you start preaching the gospel, reckoning this to be true, and enjoying the grace and experiencing Jesus like he desires to be experienced, you'll never be satisfied. And so you'll look to a thousand different people in a thousand different situations and a thousand different circumstances to make you happy, and every single one of them will ultimately fail. Because Jesus is the only thing big enough and good enough and great enough to be your Messiah. Let him be what he, made, what he was made to be. Jesus is enough. He is enough. So I want to ask you this, this question. What's at the heart of your problem? What are you facing right now? And what's the real issue? I know what you're telling everybody the issue is. I know in the temporal, physical realm what you've convinced yourself the problem is. I, I, yeah, that's easy. But even if you get what you think you want, it won't ultimately satisfy Go through this process and no, those things are dead. That's my old nature. I, I think I need everything to go my way to be happy. But man, the Bible tells me that I can have peace that passes understanding. I can have peace that doesn't make sense. I can have joy unspeakable, full of glory. I can have joy that you can't even describe. Not because circumstances and situations and people are acting the way I want them to act, but because Jesus gives me something better. So what's the real problem? What is your soul actually craving? And then begin to preach the gospel to that need and experience his grace and experience him again and again and again until your heart is full 
and you're enjoying him because then you can be the spouse you need to be and then you can be the church member you need to be and because then you can be the employee or the boss you need to be. But it can only happen if your heart is in that place because if you need something from anybody, if your soul needs, craves, has to have something from a a child, you're going to poison that relationship. You're going to infect it. But when you are free and your soul is fed, it's satisfied, it's, it's got all the significance it needs from Christ, it feels secure in Christ, it doesn't need it from this person or that situation or those circumstances. It's just free. You can enter into relationships and guess what? You can finally, finally begin to love people rather than using them. You're free. And that's what I came here to tell you today. You're free. You're free from needing your spouse. You're free from needing me. You're free from needing your boss. You're free from needing circumstances. You're free in Christ. That's what it means. You're free to love. You're just free to love purely, unconditionally. You don't need things from people. You have what you need in Christ. Just go and experience it. And you're free to love. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.